When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Tradies News in a Nutshell. Call 1300 01 1170 or text 0457 736 736. Hello, good morning and welcome to Tradies News in a Nutshell right here on SEN 1170 AM. I'm your host, Charles Goodsir. Daniel Pettigrew still off sick at the moment, so filling in the chair for him. Uh, all wishes to him. Hope he's feeling better. We've got a massive show lined up for you this morning, covering all things sport before we head over to breakfast. Uh, wherever you're listening, whether it be in New South Wales or Queensland and New South Wales, you'll hear Summer Breakfast with Trent Copeland and Michael Karianis. In If you're listening in Queensland, you'll get that for the first hour, but then you'll get uh, Brecky with Pat and Heels. As I said, right at the top, plenty to discuss this morning. Of course, the Australian Cricket Awards uh, were held last night. The Alan Border Medal and Belinda Clark medals were handed out. Congratulations to Mitch Marsh and Ash Gardner for taking home those as well. We're also going to have a look at uh, Steve Smith, who's fired back at critics, uh, who suggests that he might not, might not be an opener. I'll play a little, a little bit of audio where he uh, spoke to journalists yesterday at the MCG, uh, hyping up the one-day series coming up against the West Indies. We'll also play you a bit of an um, an interview from South Sydney CEO Blake Solly, who was on Brecky with Trent Copeland and Mark Carianis yesterday, just in the lead up to, to Vegas, uh, as well as expectations on the season. Really looking forward to hearing that one. And also, speaking of cricket, Jake Fraser-McGurk, he, he spoke to uh, Kane Corns and Sam Edmund uh, at SEN Breakfast in Melbourne, just about the, the last 12 months in cricket. His, his meteoric rise, of course, he has been named in this one-day squad to take on the West Indies. So very keen to hear his thoughts there as well. And then turned off, we'll look at some of the other news, including Liz Cambage, who still cannot get out of the headlines. So plenty to discuss this morning on Traders News in a Nutshell. As always, would love to hear from you. Would love for you to have your say on any of the topics we talk about this morning. Uh, so please feel free to give me a call, one three hundred oh one eleven seventy, 01 1170 or text through 0457 736 Seven three six. Now let's get into the main story this morning. The Australian Cricket Awards last night. Uh, I'll run through all the uh, recipients, and then we'll kind of deep dive a little bit into it. As I said at the top, Mitch Marsh claiming his first ever Allen Border Medal after a stellar twenty twenty three campaign. The Belinda Clark Award was given to Ash Gardner. Uh, the Men's Test Player of the Year was Nathan Lyon. The Women's T Twenty International Player of the Year Elise Perry. The ODI Player of the Year for the women was also Elise Perez, so taking home the white ball double there. The Men's One Day Player of the Year, Mitch Marsh, added to his trophy cabinet uh, from a stellar night. The Men's T20 International Player of the Year, Jason Berendorf. Uh, the Women's Domestic Player of the Year was a tie between Elise Villani and Sophie Day. The Men's Domestic Player of the Year, Cameron Bancroft. The Bradman Young Cricketer of the Year, Fergus O'Neill. 
the Betty Wilson Young Creek of the Year, Emma DeBrohi. And the KFC BBL 13 Player of the Tournament, Matt Short from the Adelaide Strikers. And for the WBBL 09 Player of the Tournament, Chamari Athapatu from the Sydney Thunder. So as I said, Mitch Marsh taking home his first ever Allen Border medal. He, This is how the standings were. He finished first with 223 votes. Pat Cummins was next with 144. Steve Smith got on the podium with 141. Mitch Stark then 135. Travis Head 134 and fifth. Manus Labashane 129 and sixth spot. Nathan Lyon, the Test Cricketer of the Year uh, for Australia. He got 126 votes. David Warner in his final ever count, 120. Usman Khawaja, 114. And rounding out the top 10, Adam Zampa with 90 votes. Let's hear Mitch Marsh, who was pretty emotional when he got up on stage. Let's have a listen to him. Uh, thank yous to uh, Ronnie and Paddy. Um, you believed in me. Um, and I don't really know. I, I can't thank you enough for just believing in me. And, um, I'm a bit fat at times and I love a beer, but... Um, <laughs> um, but you see the best in me always. And um, you just... Yeah, you've, uh, you've changed my life. So for, for your support, Paddy, and your leadership, um, playing under you is an absolute dream. So, um, yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, I should, should probably finish there, but um, just quickly to my beautiful family at home, to mum, dad, Sean and Melissa. Um, you, I know how proud you'll be. Dad will be sitting having six W's at the Coral Bay pub. <laughs> um, and he'll be telling me to stop crying, so uh, it's probably time to get off the stage. But um, this is a huge honour, AB. Um, yeah, thank you for being here. and I uh, really can't quite believe it, so um, I'll see you on the dance floor. Yeah, that was Mitch Marsh there after he claimed his first ever Allen Border medal last night, the Australian Cricket Awards. It's hard not to feel incredibly happy for the guy. This is a guy, you know, back in 2019 at, at the Ashes when, when he took his first ever Fifer and he got up after the day's play and he said, look, I think most of Australia probably hate me. But he's stuck at it. He, he's been in and out of the team all throughout his career and he's, I think he's finally hit his peak and he's hit his best form and he's been honoured with uh, the Allen Border medal. You can hear there in his in, in his speech as well. He's very emotional, you know. A wave of emotions naturally flooded through him. I cut it a little bit of there because there was a lot of there was a lot of breaks and pause because he was you know he was crying, he, he was welling up. But I just think that's really lovely that he said to to Pat and to Andrew McDonald as well that you know thank you for taking a chance and believing in me and I'm I'm glad I could repay the faith. Oh, we've got a text here on. Um, from Darren, um, he's texted through on 0457 736 736. He says, love Mitch Marsh. What a great natural acceptance speech. Good team culture led by Pat and Ronald McDonald. A lot of life lessons in his story. Well, thank you very much for that text, Darren. I agree. I think it's a, a great lesson to any of the cricketers who are currently out of the Australian setup who have maybe been in and around that, look, you, you know, your time will come you know, luck might drop you away and you just got to make sure you seize it with every opportunity. I think Mitch Marsh played that wonderful innings at Headingley when he was parachuted into the, the test side during the Ashes in 2023. And since then, he's never really looked back. So congratulations to you, Mitch Marsh, on claiming the Allen Border medal. Um, 
In the other news in cricket as well, Steve Smith has fired back uh, at critics who suggest he might not be an opener. Uh, of his performances in his new role as test opener, he says the commentary has been over the top. So he currently he's got scores of 12 and 6 in Adelaide. And in Brisbane against West Indies, he also got 6. Uh, Smith then hit back by carrying his bat to make 91 in Australia's thrilling but unsuccessful run chase at the Gabba. So he's taking his average from four innings at the top to 60. And that's a point he made on Wednesday when he addressed the recent criticism of his game. Uh, take a listen. I didn't really overthink things at the start. Um, you know, there was a lot of commentary around I'd failed in two or three innings or whatever it was. I had a nod out and two low scores and now I think I'm averaging 60 as an opener. So, um, yeah, you know, I didn't really read too much into it. It was just another position. You know, I've batted against a, a new ball numerous times um, coming in early. So, for me, it's it's just a position. I'm just playing and um, that's it. you bow out of test cricket as a test opener? I'll bat really wherever the team needs me to so um, you know I'm comfortable up top I've enjoyed the first couple of weeks of it so you know if I don't know if they see fit to move me back down or, or what I'll, I'll do whatever the team needs but for now I'm, I'm enjoying it up top yeah so he's enjoying it up top as an opener and I think for what it's worth um, I, I think I think he proved his critics wrong I think 91 not out in uh, the fourth innings he was nine shy away from his first ever fourth innings hundred, and he, he did everything in his power, really, if you think about it, to to get them to that point. But what do you think? Do you think there's still a question mark over Steve Smith as a Test match opener? Would love to hear your thoughts. One three hundred oh one eleven seventy is the open line, or text through like Darren has already done this morning. Oh four five seven seven three six seven three six. Interested with this one as well. So Smith also touched on whether he regrets not taking more of the strike in the fourth innings when Shamar Joseph was running rampant. This is what he had to say. He said, I've thought about it, whether we could do different things. Maybe I could have taken five balls against Shamar Joseph. He was on fire, obviously. But then I run the risk of not getting a run off the last ball. And then Hoff, that's Josh Hazelwood, having to take all six balls from Alzari Joseph, who's a pretty good bowler as well. You can weigh those things up. 4-2 is the traditional way to do things, and that's being balls, I suppose. And it felt right at the time, but yeah, it wasn't to be. <coughs> Michael Clark had some interesting things to say on uh, ESPN's Around the Wicket about this very topic. Let's take a listen. Batting with the tail, I think it's a tough one. I think it comes down to who your tail enders are as well. Pat Cummins scored runs in the first innings. Mitchell Stark has scored runs through his career. So has Nathan Lyon. And if anything, putting faith in your teammates, that's that's a strength, not a weakness. He probably could have taken Sharma Joseph's end that because he was ripping blokes' pegs out with his extra speed, I think he probably could have taken all six balls up that end and backed his tail to the other end. Interesting there from Michael Clark. I, I think that's a good point where he said, like, you know, backing your tail is not a weakness. Having faith in your teammates isn't a weakness. And Pat Cummins made runs in the first innings. Mitch Stark is a very good batter. He threw his wicket away. Nathan Lyon can chip in uh, with the odd innings as well. I think at the end of the day, Shamar Joseph just bowled one of the all-time spells. There wasn't really much to do. And I agree with what Smith said as well, that Look, if he takes all of those balls, you've got Alzari Joseph, who's more than a good bowler. 
especially when he's got you know six balls to Josh Hazelwood, the number eleven. But I have seen people criticise Steve Smith for you know not rotating the strike a little bit more, for not maybe also being too aggressive. You know, he hit that ridiculous ramp shot off Al Alzari Joseph that that six to get him into the nineties. I think could he have done that? Maybe could he have gone just full slog mode? Would love to hear your thoughts on that. 0457 736 736. There is a fine art to batting with a tail. I think Ben Stokes has mastered it. Could Steve Smith have maybe done more? Interested to hear your thoughts on that. And then before we go to a break, I'd like to touch on this really fascinating opinion piece that caught my eye by David Free in the the Sydney Morning Herald. Now, he's spoken about uh, tennis, uh, the Australian Open finishing. And this is what he had to say. He said, for me, the real new year doesn't begin until the Australian Open ends. Straddling the last two, four weeks of January, the Open is the great watershed event. When it begins, the silly season is still in full swing. The air is still thick with barbecue smells and far-fetched resolutions. By the time the tennis ends, there's no denying the carnival is over. It's time to get back to real life. Pretty, pretty brutal there from from David Free. I, I'm, I will say, but it's hard to disagree with him. I, I think the Australian Open is one of these wonderful events. You know, there's tennis on all the time, and I think uh, Australians really get behind the Australian Open and they become massive tennis fans for for you know the only time of the year. But once the Australian Open ends, you see all those ads for you know dur- during the Australian Open for you know maths coming back or whatever latest, you know, Australian Idol or The Survivor or whatever the latest show is coming on. And then once Australian Open ends, those shows start and you kind of, everyone pretty much is back to work at that point and you get this sober reality that, yeah, the, you know, the silly season's over. It's time to get back into the grind of the year and it being the 1st of February today, we're already, you know, into the second month of 2024 and it's flown by. But I do agree with what David Free said. I, I, I Look, I went for a run yesterday and I saw my local tennis court with two separate training sessions going on. You know, two people trying to get in the swing of things, no pun intended. You know, trying to cling on to that, you know, that that summer shred a, a little bit as well. I I, I must admit, I've, I've got a bit of the uh, Australian Open blues now that it's done. Would love to hear if you feel the same way. And are you someone who watches tennis all year long, or, or are you just someone that tunes in for the Australian Open just because of you know how advantageous the time schedule is? For me, I, I love tennis. I love watching it all year round. Love watching the French Open and, and Wimbledon as well. Probably my favourite one to watch as a, you know, a, not as a spectator, but as a viewer is probably the US Open because the time zones are a lot better for us because uh, the, the night games start off at around like midday, one o'clock in the afternoon in Australia. That's very interesting coming from David Friend's Sydney Morning Herald. Highly recommend reading that piece. It, it's, it's online if you, if you want to have a look. And But I, I do agree with what he's saying, like, you know, do you have the post-Australian Open blues? Are you feeling a bit of a snapback to reality now that now that it's completed? Let me know what you think on that topic. 0457 736 736 is the text line, or please feel free to give me a call, 1300 01 1170. We're going to take a break here on Traders News in a Nutshell. Coming up, I'll play this chat from Blake Solly, the South Sydney Rabbitoh CEO. Welcome back to Traders News in a Nutshell. A reminder, I'm your host, Charles Goodsir, for the first day of February. 
in 2024. Pinching a punch for the first day of the month. Now, uh, if you're listening to uh, Summer Breakfast yesterday with Trent Copeland and Michael Carianis, they spoke with South Sydney CEO Blake Solly. They spoke to him about the upcoming Vegas trip as well, the impending visa issues that might still be in play, uh, expectations on the year after a disappointing way of bowing out last season, and also some of the new recruits, including Jack Whiten. Take a listen. Good morning, Trent. Good morning, Michael. How are things going in terms of the plans for Vegas? It's a, it's one of those things that it feels like it's been talked about for eight months and we're almost there. How are things coming along? Yeah, it's, it feels like it's been talked about for a long time and um, <laughs> we're less than three weeks away from boarding the plane to LA and then San Diego. So um, it's come along very quick. Look, I think the plans are... Um, in good shape, we had a very good meeting with Peter and Andrew last week and raised some of the challenges we were facing and they've done a good job in addressing some of them, particularly around the visas for, for the players and making sure that the best players can get on the field for round one in Las Vegas and um, helping us with some of the other uh, details that we just needed around training grounds in Vegas and um, travel schedules. So I think now from the four clubs' point of view, we're ready to go and we just want to make sure that the event is as good as it can be. Blake, what clarity have the NRL given? Uh, I think it was recently as, as yesterday, there was probably another phone hookup between the CEOs and the NRL. Where's where's that at in terms of clarity for, for visas? And are they 100% confident that everyone will be able to play round one? Uh, I wouldn't say they're 100% confident, but they're very confident. They um, have helped us um, with the application process. They're going to expedite. Um, the visits to the US consulate for any players who um, need to get a visitor visa rather than just entering under an ESTA. So um, from that respect, they've, they've put their shoulder to the wheel and given us every indication that uh, the players will all be able to get visas. Their initial advice is they don't think that any player should be denied entry into the US at this stage. So um, we've just got a follow process that the NRL will set down and, and hopefully get uh, the boys their visas as soon as possible. It, with regard to when you actually land in Vegas, Blake, can you give us some insight on, we obviously know that the game will go ahead you know, it, on the field, but what's it like in terms of from arrival into Vegas? What is the lead up, the facilities you'll be using? Do you have a high performance facility like a college football place that you're going to be using? Can you give us some insight there? Yeah, um, we do our acclimatisation camp in San Diego, I think, the Broncos and the Roosters are in LA and Vegas um, is hosting the Sea Eagles. So we'll get to Vegas, I think, on the Wednesday before the game. We'll train on the Thursday. At this stage, we're scheduled to use the uh, Vegas Raiders facility and the UFC gym. I think all clubs are using the UFC gym through the partnership with the NRL. And there's a host of uh, promotional activity on um, over those three days as well. So when the players are um, training, the, the rest of the club will be out and about and singing the goal of uh, rugby in Vegas. So there's a fan day um, down at Fremont Street on the Thursday. Um, there's a corporate lunch on the Friday. There's a uh, sports management, sports business conference on the Friday morning as well that the NRL are hosting. So I think from that point of view, we're trying to make sure that uh, there's as much activity during the course of that week to talk about rugby league both on and off the field and sell the game to the US market. Aside from visas, which is obviously a, a big obstacle is there anything left that that needs to be sorted before you guys hop on a plane in, in a couple of weeks time uh, not really i think there's some uh ins and outs around the hotel and um the training venues that just need to be finalized but um again i think 
this is such a huge undertaking, taking four clubs to the US for a game. There's always going to be um, some issues like that uh, at this stage. I think anyone who's ever been involved with an international touring team will say the same thing. Um, it's when you get on the ground and everything settles that you kind of find out all of the detail. But we're going to do as much we can do as much as we can to get as much detail finalised. But it, really, it's only um, dotting I's and crossing T's now, and it's all about making sure that. We use the next three weeks in Australia and our um, trial games to get the team in the best shape they can for heading over to the US. How have the players, I'm assuming there's a sense of excitement from the players now. You probably haven't been asked as many questions from the playing group before about updates around Vegas. Yes, they're pretty excited. I think there's probably a few of them that are nervous. They just want to get on that plane. And um, and in some ways, it's, it's added a bit of intensity to I suspect all four clubs pre-seasons, right? Everyone wants to get on that plane and play in that round one game and um, and represent the club and represent the game on a big stage. So it certainly added a bit of intensity and a bit of excitement to our pre-season. And likewise, off the field, we've had a lot of our members and our fans and supporters and corporate partners really interested in going over and booking their tickets and booking their flights. So um, Peter says it's, I think, the um, most high-profile initiative he's ever been involved in. And it certainly feels like that on a day-to-day basis at the club too. On the field, not the way you wanted to finish last season. What areas have, have the coaching staff identified to try and and get you guys back into that top eight? Yeah, it was, it was a disappointing finish, there's no doubt about that. And um, one of the, um, I suppose, the, the benefits of it is it gave us a full pre-season for the first time in six years. We've made uh, five prelims and a grand final in the, in the run-up to uh, the 2023 season. And this year, we actually had the opportunity to have all our players back when pre-season started uh, in previous years with grand finals, prelims and international series. We haven't had some guys like Damian Cook or Latrell Mitchell back until January. Um, they were back at the start of November. So one of the things that the coaching staff, um, and particularly led by Jason, were keen to know with our pre-season. We wanted to make sure that the players were as fit, uh, strong and fast as they could be coming into round one. And with a full pre-season, we're pretty confident we've been able to do that. Um, so... That was one real positive we had to take out of what was otherwise a disappointing 2023. We got the players an opportunity to give them their best preparation they've had, some of them in their whole time at the club. What about the arrival of Jack Whiten, mate? It's obviously hugely reported, hugely significant with the club in terms of recent movements. He's about as big as it gets in terms of coming from the Raiders to the Rabbitohs. What are you seeing from him in pre-season, but also the optimism of what he can bring to the team for 2024? Yeah, you only have to look at what Jack achieved at the Raiders and, and his contribution to that club to know what he brings. He's a competitor on the field. He's a, a leader off it. Um, we were very lucky in some ways to sign him and he was ready for a change after um, you know, a massive contribution a long time in Canberra and uh, came to us and I think speaking to guys like Campbell Graham, Cameron Murray, Latrell and Cody before we signed him, they said that he would bring a lot, not only on the field, but his um, composure and his leadership offered and everything that we've seen from him in the preseason has stacked up with their their, their um, assessment of him before we signed him. He just brings so much to the club. He's a very decent person, family man off it, off the field and um, an absolute competitor on it. And um, we can't wait to see him on the field in that round three game against the Roosters at Allianz. And just finally, Blake, GI, Greg Inglis in the West Tigers colours. How, how does that make you, make you feel? Oh, it was a bit of a shock, but to be fair, Greg uh, hasn't um, done any full-time work for us since 2020. He's been around the club, and and look at Richo and Greg share a very close relationship, and I can understand why 
which I would want to get um, Greg in to mentor and assist Jerome. He's um, a hell of a, a player, Jerome. He's clearly developing. And um, like any young player where you can get an ex-player or a great like Greg in to help mentor them and help them develop, it's a good idea. And, and I'm sure Greg will make a big contribution at the Tigers, just like he did on the field and off the field at South. Yeah, that was South Sydney CEO Blake Soller, who was on uh, Summer Breakfast with Trent Copeland and Michael Carianas yesterday. You can also catch that on the podcast, Etch's Breakfast with Vossi and Brand. You can find that on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. A lot to take away out of that interview, I think. Uh, and this is the one I'm most interested in. Uh, who will be the best performer at Vegas for South Sydney? It's it's interesting considering how they finished last year with all the the off field drama and the controversies going to you know Sin City to start your season. I'm a bit unsure whether that's the best move, but thanks to uh, Makita XGT experienced professional cordless power without limits, who do you think will be the best performer in Vegas? This is for the Makita power play. Is it someone from South Sydney? Is it someone from the Roosters? Is Reese? Walsh just going to go electric, you know, he's hanging out with Tom Brady. You know, that, that, that's already got some mass appeal as well. Or someone from Manly perhaps step up. And if you're looking for any rugby league content um, through SEN, check out SEN League's YouTube channel. Uh, a couple of the uh, journos here at, at SEN, uh, including myself, we, we had a look at all 17 coaches under pressure. Or, or just all the coaches, and, and we determined what sort of pressure they're on, whether they're fully safe, if, if things go poorly, if, if they're, you know, in the hot seat. Have a look at where we ranked Jason Dimitro. Had a pretty tough, tough end to last year's campaign. Let me know what you think on the matter. Call one three hundred oh one eleven seventy 1170 or text through 0457367366. Going to go to a break, and on the other side, we're going to have a chat with, or we're going to, uh, listen to Jake Fraser McGurk's chat with SEN Breakfast in Melbourne uh, from yesterday. But before we do, a little bit of breaking news coming out of the uh, England v India Test Series. Jack Leach, the spinner for England, he's out of the second test with his knee injury. Uh, Will McPherson from Telegraph Sport over in the UK is reporting that. He's the man on the ground currently in India. So we'll have a look at any updates for that. You stick around on Traders News in a Nutshell with Charles Goodsir. Welcome back to Tradies News in a Nutshell. I'm your host, Charles Goodsurf. Filling up for Daniel Pettigrew, who is still just feeling a little bit under the weather, hoping he gets better soon. Well, it's been quite the year in cricket for Jake Fraser McGurk. He was at a bit of a crossroads in his career. He, he, he didn't get a contract from Victoria, so he moved to South Australia. Uh, was playing uh, just a lot of white ball cricket. Uh, has aspirations to play test cricket, but... You know, when he didn't get picked up by Victoria Shield site, he didn't know what to do. He, he, so he's still playing for South Australia in that uh, Sheffield Shield setup. But then he broke the List A record and just wipe all like one day record in general for the fastest ever century. It was off 29 balls early this year, or last year rather, in late 2023. Overtaking the my favourite player of all time, A.B. de Villiers' record for the fastest 100. That was set 
I think it was against the West Indies from memory. So an unbelievable effort, and he's now been uh, added to Australia's one-day squad to take on the West Indies. And he's really an up-and-coming young star. Really like him. He was named in the team of the tournament for the Big Bash uh, this season. He spoke on SCN Breakfast yesterday with Kane Corns and Sam Edmund. Let's take a listen. Well, lots of cricket fans. I reckon Kane is still shaking their head over this man's 29-ball 100 for South Australia back in October. But since then, Jake Fraser-McGurk has wowed crowds in the BBL for the Renegades. And also in a brief stint in Dubai this month, he lit up the UAE T20 tournament there. He's in the Aussie ODI squad for the upcoming three-match series against West Indies starting Friday. And he's with us this morning. Jake, welcome to SEN. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, You don't muck around in the middle, so I'm not going to here either. Are you playing at the G on Friday? I haven't been told yet, so I'm not too sure. What sort of level of anticipation and excitement lives within you at the moment at the possibility that you could be? Yeah, I mean, it would be just, it would be a dream, wouldn't it? You know, coming from Victoria, you know, growing up there, made my Victorian debut there um, with Will Sutherland. So if there's a chance that, um, that him and I could debut together, as he said, it would be a nice full circle moment. What's life been like for oh. you? Like crazy, 21-year-old, everything has happened. You've just signed a four-year deal with, with the Renegades, the potential to make your, your debut on, on Friday, travelling the world. Like how are you taking it all in your stride? Yeah, it's obviously an amazing feeling. You know, this time last year I was sort of in the bush a bit with, um, with where my career was going, um, not really sure what I was going to do. So a fresh start of the, at, the, um, at the sack has really helped that. And, and yeah, it's... Um, it's a bit hard to reflect on it when you're doing it um, right now, but I'm sure when the season's over, it will be um, there'll be a lot of time to reflect on it. So, so you were 12 months ago. You were questioning where everything was at. Like, take us into your headspace then, if you can. Yeah, well, I was sort of a bit like not quite sure where my cricket was at. Mentally, a bit not not well. Just you know, got offered a rookie contract from Victoria. Didn't really know what. I was going to do there. I wasn't really in sort of any teams. And then um, South Australia offered me a full contract and I was like, you know what, maybe a fresh start's probably probably going to be good for me. And then, and then here we are now, what, seven months later. So, Jake, your mentality when you get to the middle, particularly in the white ball format, what, what's going through your mind? Obviously, you're super aggressive from the outside looking in. That's the understatement of the year. But... Your mentality, like, what are you seeking to do? What do you know that you need to tick off, you know, in your game to know that you're going to be on? Oh, it's just trusting my processes and everything that I've done at training before that um, to know that I'm ready to go out in the middle. I'm sort of just what, just say to myself before every ball, watch the ball and react, and then um, just let my instincts sort of take over. And, yeah, that's, that's sort of what I've been doing this year, and it's been working so far, so hopefully that stays... And continues. The hand-eye coordination is just extraordinary, Kane. Like you're picking the ball up so quick, it, and I, you're not an overly big guy, but geez, the ball staying hit when you when you're hitting it. I mean, it's hard for you to put into words. I know, but the difficulty in what you do is so extraordinarily high. Um, I, I just how do you how do you weigh it up out there in the moment? I mean, are you just you're watching the bowler's hand, you're watching everything. Your reaction time is just so insanely quick. Is it has it always been that way for you? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess you've got you to train it pretty 
pretty well. Like I usually, I was sort of playing professional cricket as a young age, so I had that um, consistency with facing faster bowling ever since I was younger. So to pick it up quick, I, I think is just sort of, as you said, the hand-eye coordination that I was almost you could say gifted with um, who knows where that was from maybe my dad in the nets back when I was a bit younger but um, yeah just trying to watch the seam of the ball as hard as I can and see what the ball is going to do and just try and pick it up and react to it. There's been a lot of talk about test cricket and the state of it and, and whether it's dying or not I was thrilled to read that you're so keen to, to play test cricket and that is one of your goals. Why is that the case when there's so many riches on offer for you around the world playing a shorter format. Take us through your passion for the test format. Yeah, well, I grew up, um, you know, watching Michael Clark, Ricky Ponting, um, even Steve Smith now, who I'm in the same squad with, which is surreal. But um, just wanting to be out there and, and doing that for my country. And I think, um, you know, kids growing up these days see a lot of white ball cricket and see know all the flashiness about it but I grew up watching the um the long form and that's sort of been where my passion is and I think it's the pinnacle of of cricket in itself is playing the long format for your country I mean there's a reason why I call it test cricket and it's to test yourself out against the best in the world for a long period of time so that's um that's sort of where my head's at in that. So how do you get the balance right with with your dream to do that but also being successful in the shorter format? It's a great question. I think it's still one that I'm trying to figure out myself. Um, you know, I haven't really had much success until this year, so it's all sort of hit me quite quick in the short format. Um, haven't had a lot of opportunity in the long format due with injury and things like that. So, um, you know, a lot of people think that I'm just like a white ball player and, you know, based off the way I bat, but... You see the way that, you know, Ollie Pope batted the other day in the yeah. Indian test, um, you know, got 200 off 220 balls. Mm. Like, you know, there's always room for blokes who score quick um, in, in the test arena, and that's the way test cricket's trending at the moment. Jake, it must be nice to have Glenn Maxwell in your corner. Yeah, he, he's been in my corner for a few years now, and, um, you know, <laughs> I've taken a lot of what he says on board, as you would, because he's such a good dynamic player but he um yeah he even off field um off field stuff just trying to make me a better person um as well as a cricketer is, is huge for what he's trying to do for me yeah nicely said and when do you suspect you'll find out about friday what, what's the what's the expectation there what's the timeline oh, i'd assume that i have some sort of idea on maybe thursday training session so yeah i i can't really i can't really say because there's a lot of all I've been playing is 2020 cricket lately and you get told sort of a day before if you're in or not, if you're on the fringe. So, um, yeah, that's that's what I'm expecting. Well, we wish you well. I know we both do. Everyone does. Everyone would be who was listening uh, this morning, Jake. It's been a, a, a meteoric last few months. It's been extraordinary. We're all the better for having uh, watched it. You're certainly entertaining, mate. I hope it continues. Um, and we hope you play Friday for sure. And if you don't, well, it won't be long until you do. So best of luck with it. And appreciate you taking time out of your morning to join us this morning. Thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, wonderful insights there from a rising star in the Australian cricket scene, Jake Fraser-McGurk.
he was uh, attending the Australian Cricket Awards last night. If you're just catching up on Traders News in a nutshell, Mitch Marsh taking home the Alan Bordermill and Ash Gardner taking home the Belinda Clark medal. But this caught my eye. Ian Higgins from uh, the grade cricketer, he goes as he is affectionately known, had uh, this little funny bit uh, as he was hosting. Have a listen. Smith here. Steve Smith, you've won this award four times. Only Ricky Ponting and Michael Clark have the same amount. This year, the winner actually gets a trip to Noosa with Carl Stefanovic. That's exciting. <laughs> you've won so much this year, Steve. What's been your favourite thing this year? Uh, yeah, no, it's been a great year. Uh, I've enjoyed every minute of it. Um, I think the, the World Test Championship and obviously the World Cup are the two big ones. Um, yeah, pretty funny there from he goes. We'll take a break here on Tradies News in a nutshell. Uh, after the break, we'll touch on some of the stories uh, during the rounds in the papers. You stick around. Hello, welcome back to Tradies News in a nutshell. I'm your host, Charles Goodsir. Filling in for Daniel Pettigrew. I know I've said this a lot this week, but... Fairly certain he'll be back in the chair tomorrow, wishing him all the best and a speedy recovery. He's got a bit of a flu at the moment. Well, so far, if you're just joining us, we're, we've capped some of the top stories of the morning, including the Australian Cricket Awards last night. Uh, Mitch Marsh taking home his first Alan Border medal. Uh, a wonderful speech. Uh, he gave very heartfelt, emotional speech as well. We had Darren on the text line a little earlier. Uh, talking about uh, w- what a great story it is and what a great story of resilience as well. Uh, for the Blinda Clark honours, Ash Gardner took home her second medal, so congratulations to her. And then also uh, in the news as well, in terms of cricket, Steve Smith has fired back at his the critics who suggest he might not be an opener. I uh, had a pretty funny jab saying that, you know, he averages 60 uh, as an opener at this point. Um, and now we're getting to the other side of things. Uh, what else is making news at the moment and in the world of the NBA? So um, the All-Star break, the All-Star weekend is fast approaching. This uh, this year will be taking place in uh, Indianapolis. Uh, and this really caught my eye. So they have a three-point shoot, uh, shoot off, a three-point showdown uh, every single All-Star break. And usually it's between, you know, or typically... It's with uh, all the, the best three-point shooters in the NBA. It can sometimes be a fizzer because, you know, some players, you know, don't get hot or it's just... Sometimes it can just be a bit awkward when, you know, the three-point shots aren't going in. But this is a great innovation. So, Gonstat Warriors guard Steph Curry, the greatest three-point shooter of all time, will go head-to-head with New York Liberty guard Sabrina Ionoscu uh, from the WNBA in a head-to-head three-point contest, the NBA the NBA announced on Tuesday. The competition, billed as Stefan versus Sabrina, will be the first ever NBA v WNBA three-point challenge. It will take place during State Farm All-Star Saturday night on February 17. That's February 17 uh, local time, or, or local in America, at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. Both players are playing for charities, Curry's, Eat, Learn, Play in Ionoscu's SI20 Foundation received donations from the NBA and the WNBA. Each made three-pointer during the competition is valued at $1,000. The money ball, so this is a, this is a special sort of ball, I think, I think it's green from memory, uh, is worth $2,000. And a three-pointer called the Starry Range Ball from 29 feet 
and nine inches away will be worth $3,000. As I mentioned earlier, Curry is currently the NBA record holder with 3,577 made three-pointers and is a two-time NBA MVP and a four-time first-team All-NBA selection. Last season in the WNBA, Sabrina Ionoscu averaged 17 points, 5.6 rebounds, 5.4 assists, and made 44.8% of her three-pointers, helping Liberty reach the WNBA Finals. She also hit 128 three-pointers during the season, setting a WNBA record. Does this excite you? As a basketball fan, seeing a collaboration between the men's and women's competitions, I'm excited. I'll be watching. And I reckon Sabrina Ionoscu can take the upset. Who knows? Also in basketball news, Liz Cambage is back in the headlines. She's been forced to shut down her OnlyFans as she moves to China after signing a staggering $1 million contract to play with a Chinese basketball team. So she has to shut down her OnlyFans account because the site is blocked. She wrote on online, as some of you all know, I'm moving to China to return to the WCBA this week. Social media is blocked over there, so I'll be shutting down my OnlyFans and taking a break from all these apps. <coughs> Cambridge is known as one of the sport's most controversial figures, and she recently signed a lucrative three-month contract with Chinese team uh, Sichuan, worth an eye-popping $1 million. This is one of the biggest in women's basketball history, actually, standing in stark contrast to the WNBA, where she used to play. The highest-paid players are capped at a maximum annual salary of $234,936. So that means that Cambage will earn four times more than the highest earner of the WNBA playing in China. The contract is also rumoured to include substantial bonus clauses as well. So despite being a four-time WNBA All-Star, WNBL MVP, Olympic bronze medalist, her career has been marred by a series of controversies. She found herself at odds with the Los Angeles Sparks, her WNBA team in 2022, which brought her career basically to an end. She had a heated confrontation in the team's dressing rooms, expressing frustration over lack of involvement in games. So yeah, interesting coming from Liz Cambage there. And then there's also a bit of outrage over Yannick Sinner, the Australian Open winner, uh, because he was uh, embraced and hugged the Italian Prime Minister, uh, Giorgia Maloney, and because she's a far-right politician who's made comments in support of Benito Mussolini, the old uh, World War II despot. So, yeah, a bit of outrage there, but if you want my take on it, I think, look, it's just a prime minister. He's Italian. He just, you know, has to show face and it's good PR. Thank you very much for joining me on Tradies News in a Nutshell. Coming up on SEN 1170 AM, it's Summer Breakfast with Trent Copeland and Michael Karianis. If you're listening in Queensland, you can chat. Uh, you'll be listening to Breakfast with Pat and Heels. And if you're listening, if you've got the SEN app, you can listen to any show around the network anywhere in the world. Thank you for joining me on Tradies News in a Nutshell. I've been your host, Charles Goodsir.